Very much appreciate the thoughts Brother Marvin shared and the prayer he has offered this morning. Psalm 100, that's a, a beautiful psalm. It's a call to praise the Lord. Five verses in Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. I tell you, that's a... The fact that that call to praise the Lord goes out to all ye lands, that's a testimony that God has a people in every nation, kindred, tongue, and people upon the face of the planet. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. I believe that's what we've done this morning. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. Man, in his pride, likes to think that he's self-made a lot of times. He is arrived because of his own efforts and his own labors. That's true in the natural world, and sometimes that can even be true in the spiritual uh, realm as well. But the truth of the matter is it's Lord God who gets all the credit, the praise, honor, and glory. And we have not made ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generations. Truly God is good. Truly God is worthy of our thanksgiving and praise. Truly he is a great God and he is greatly to be worshipped. Uh, I don't know that we'll ever uh, worship him. Well, I'm certain that uh, we won't ever worship Him here in this, in this world as we should, but one day in heaven and immortal glory when we're freed from this body of flesh and from the sin that uh, weighs us down so very often, these mortal bodies, uh, I believe we'll praise Him as we ought. We'll see Him and we'll know Him as we are known and we'll be in His presence, never to be parted. What a glorious day that will be. Uh, Sister Amy was kind of flustered this morning she came in and I, I think you can kind of hear it in uh, maybe the text that I read to you from uh, Sister Teresa this week you know this, this world is just a low ground of sin and sorrow it's, it's, uh, we all have uh, days where just nothing seems to go right uh, seems like everything is, is breaking up I mean you can't even get to the church grounds and have water when you get here <laughs> it's just everything tears up all around us and I I get frustrated sometimes. I tell Sister Angel, I, I just can't, I can't keep up with everything that's breaking. You know, by the time you get one thing fixed, three more things are broken around the house. And uh, it's just, uh, we look forward to a day where that won't be the case anymore. And these bodies that we inhabit, they, they continue to fail us and, and deteriorate. And truly, we see the effects of sin all around us in this world. Uh, but we look forward. We have a great hope because of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have a great hope, uh, earnest expectation that He will deliver on all His promises that we have in His Word. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to notice a verse of Scripture found in 1 Peter chapter 1. In 1 Peter chapter 1, and, and the first chapter of Peter is such a, a rich... Uh, portion of God's word there's so uh, so much doctrine uh, just in the first chapter of Peter there's no telling how much uh, how many uh, sermons uh, well it's just inexhaustible probably uh, but I want to read verse uh, 23 this morning 
Well, 23 is kind of the last part of a, a sentence that begins in verse 22. In verse 22 it says, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. I made reference to this portion of scripture in, a, in an effort recently, and uh, Brother Gary Hall, he's my, what I consider to be my father in the ministry. Uh, he asked me a question after service that day because uh, there in verse 23 where it says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. I presented that and I explained that, that that is, uh, we are born again by the Lord Jesus Christ. And he asked me the question, he said, have you ever noticed that the word of God there in verse 23 is not capitalized like it is over there in the Gospel of John chapter 1 in verses 1 through 3 where it talks about the word of God being a, a name that's ascribed to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one of the proper names of Jesus. Have you ever noticed that that's capitalized, but this isn't? And uh, he asked me that question, and when Brother Gary, uh, I, I don't know if everybody realizes this or not, but older ministers, and I, I, I'm, I don't really have a whole lot of younger ministers that I, I'm able to do this with yet, but Older ministers, they like to ask questions of younger ministers. Now, when Brother Gary asked me a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. Uh, it's because he wants to test me and prove me. Uh, much like, and that's very much Christ-like. You know, Christ, Jesus, when he was here on the earth, he asked a, a lot of questions. And we know that he was God manifest in the flesh. And we know that there was no question that Christ ever asked because he didn't know the answer to it. But a lot of times Jesus would ask questions just to, to prove those around him or to test those around him. Over in John chapter 6, one of the men uh, preached from John 6, I believe it was Brother Ronald on Thursday night, uh, preached a sermon on the entire chapter of John chapter 6. But there where Jesus performs a miracle of loaves and fishes and he feeds the 5,000 men, not counting women and children, uh, Christ asked a question to his disciples in verse 5 he says uh, it says when Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him he saith unto Philip whence shall we buy bread that these may eat now there was probably 10,000 people or better here on this occasion and Christ didn't really expect Philip to say, well, we're going to run down to Walmart and we're going to buy a whole bunch of bread and we'll be able to feed this crowd of folks. And it, said, it tells us in the next verse why Christ asked that question. Verse 6, And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. So, and Brother David Montgomery, we were back here at lunch one time, and uh, he was explaining to some, uh, there was a table full of ministers, and I I tell you, you just don't ever know what, what the conversation is about when you see some preachers sitting together. But uh, he, was, he was just really uh, reading the riot act to, to one of the younger ministers there because they had been asked a question, and he, he made sure they understood, listen, 
you don't blow that off. You take that seriously. That's your homework assignment. You, you study and you find the answer to that question because this minister is expecting you to get back to him with a, with a full report. And that's, that's just a rite of passage. And we, I tell you, as God's children, when we read the Word of God, this is a book like no other book, and we're going to have questions that, that come up in our minds. And uh, it's, it's fine to ask your pastor. Sometimes your pastor, I tell you, if, if I have any light on something that someone asked me, I try, to, I try to share it. But a lot of times I don't have the answer. But more times than not, what I find is when I'm in the Word of God, and if there's something that's really, uh, I just I won't have more light on it, if I seek God's face and I ask God to open up the Scriptures to me, and I ask God to, to bless me and help me to understand this portion of Thy Word, or Lord, show me more of Thy glory. And you know, Moses, he asked God to show him his glory. And I believe if we seek God, and Scripture promises that, when we seek Him and we seek Him early and we seek Him often, He is faithful. And the Lord is our Heavenly Father. And which... Uh, which of us that have a child, and if our child comes and says, Lord, I'm hungry, or Father, I'm hungry, uh, give me a loaf of bread, or give me a, a something to eat, uh, which of us is going to hand that child a serpent? And how much more does our Heavenly Father give to those that ask of Him the Holy Spirit? And I tell you, we oftentimes we have not because we ask not, Brother Gary asked me that question. He said, how, how do you know that that's Christ right there? And it's not. And the reason he asked that is because this would be one of those scriptures that uh, those of different religious orders, they might take this scripture and, and use it to present that individuals are born again by the Word of God, the Bible. Or maybe individuals are born again by the preaching of the Gospel, by the Word of God in that capacity. So how do we know that this is the Lord Jesus? Uh, the word or the phrase there, born again, is only found three times in the New Testament, in the Scriptures. Uh, two times over there in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, and one time right here in 1 Peter, chapter 1. Uh, the, way I'd like to, the way I'd like to present this today, I think we'll start over in John, chapter 1. In John, chapter 1... It, this is the Word of God, and it's capitalized, and we know that this is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ because in verse 14 we're told the Word, capital W, was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. <coughs> so in John chapter 1 and, and verse 1, we're told that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So this is, this is clearly speaking to the, the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Gospel of John, unlike the other three Gospels, the Gospel of John focuses primarily, the theme of, this, of John's writings is to show that Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ, you know, He claimed to be the Son of God. He uh, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And that's why the Jews on so many occasions would take up stones and want to stone Him. That's why they would want to take Him to the, to the edge of a, a cliff at the edge of the city of Jerusalem and cast Him off so He would 
fall to his death because they considered him to be guilty of the crime of making himself equal with God, which is blasphemy. And that was a crime that was worthy of death in the law of God. So many times the Jews would, would seek to kill Christ. They would be so angry because he would make himself God. And that's what John's uh, gospel, the, the theme of his gospel is, is that listen, Jesus Christ was not simply a man. Jesus Christ was God. Jesus Christ was exactly who he claimed to be. You know, there's, there's a lot of uh, other religions out there in the world and they acknowledge that the Lord, that Jesus Christ was a man who existed. He was a Jewish male. Uh, history uh, bears that out. There was a man by the name of Christ uh, that he walked and he talked and he had a ministry on the earth there in Jerusalem, Judea, for about three and a half years. But many of those religions will say that he was just a man, that he was just a, a teacher, that he was just a, a, good, a good individual that went about and healed the sick and the lame and performed miracles, but he was not God. Well, it's impossible to say that Jesus was a good man if he was not God. Because if Jesus was just a man and he claimed to be God and he was not, then he was a liar. And he was a false teacher. And he would be anything but a good man. But the fact of the matter is that he truly was God. And John chapter 1 tells us that all things were made by Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. So that gives us light there in Genesis chapter 1 when you read the creation account about Genesis chapter 1 starts off very much the same as John, the Gospel of John chapter 1. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. So that lets us know from John, the Gospel of John, that this was Jesus that we read about here in Genesis chapter 1. And it wasn't just Jesus, it was, we understand that there's one God, He's composed of three distinct persons in the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And you can read that in Genesis chapter 1. In verse 2 it says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. You have Spirit of God there capitalized. You have the Holy Spirit present in the creation account. And of course you remember as God created everything there in, in uh, chapter 1, when it gets to the last of His creation, which was man, and God simply took some of the dust that He created, and He took this dust and He formed a body, and into the body he, he breathed the breath of life, and that was man. But when God was creating man there in verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image. Those are us and our, those are plural pronouns, indicating there's three in the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, but there's one God. Now that's really beyond my comprehension and my ability to explain to you uh, my, uh, my mortal mind cannot really fully comprehend the Godhead. All I can tell you is what God's Word, how He explains Himself to us. But here in the creation account, Genesis chapter 1, we see over and over how God created. Now, again, if you were to ask me to explain to you exactly how God created everything, because in the beginning there was nothing but God. 
I don't know if you can really comprehend that. I have a hard time comprehending nothing. <laughs> nothing but God. I mean, because we... Have you ever been somewhere and just... Have you ever been in complete darkness? I guess that would be the closest thing that I could maybe even relate to, to nothing. Uh, there's, a, there's a place uh, up in North Georgia somewhere, I believe it is, where you go down under the surface of the earth several hundred feet uh, to a place where there's a waterfall under the earth called Ruby Falls. and uh, You can go on that tour and there's a, a section of the tour where they'll turn out all the lights and you can experience complete darkness. And you just stand there in the dark. Now there's, you still realize there's, there's rocks and dirt and all that around you, but when you're just in darkness, that's the closest thing that I've got to to, that I can even imagine what it was like in the beginning when it was just simply God and nothing else. And God, when there was nothing, He created everything from nothing. And how did God do that? The scientists try to explain uh, how everything came to be by just simply putting a whole bunch of time on it. Well, millions and billions and trillions of years ago, uh, you know, all this stuff just kind of started happening and evolving. There was an explosion. There was nothing. And bam, there was something. And it just over a whole eons and eons, that's the way everything came to be. Well, that's not the way it is, folks. God, in the beginning, was God. And God simply had a desire to create. And God began to speak. And He said, let there be. Over and over and over again, God simply says, let there be this. And it was so. Let there be light, and there was light. God divided the light from the darkness. God said, let there be a firmament, and it was so. God said, uh, you know, let the, let the earth bring forth grass and herb yielding seed and the fruit yielding uh, tree and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind whose seed is in itself upon the earth and it was so over and over again the Lord simply spake and it was so so there was power in God's creative uh, in his word that he spoke there in the beginning in creation and we know that that is the Lord God the one true and living God that did all that and over in the book of Psalms, Psalms chapter 33, in verse 6, it says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of His mouth. Now I want you to notice there in verse 6, the word of the Lord is not capitalized. But yet we know that was God that created everything. And it was by His spoken word that everything was made. The heavens were made and all the host of them by the breath of His mouth, is the way Scripture describes it. He gathered the waters of the sea together as a heap. He layeth up the depth in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. There is... There is such power in the spoken Word of God that when He commands something, it always stands fast. It is so. Over in Job, Job chapter 26, 
Job is praising God here and speaking of the power of God. And he talks about God, how He stretched out, in verse 7, He stretcheth out the north over the empty place, and hangeth the earth upon nothing. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever seen a picture of the earth, maybe from the space shuttle or one of those satellites? How the earth is out there in space and it's just hanging on nothing. That's really hard for man to understand. It. I mean, it's me taking this Bible and holding it up, and if I was to let it go and just say, all right, I'm going to hang you right there on nothing, and it stay, that would be impressive, would it not? <laughs> but that would pale in comparison to God creating the earth from nothing and hanging it on an empty place and saying, stay there. And it has stayed there. We don't have to worry about, you know, there's, there's all kind of crazy notions that man comes up with and, and Hollywood comes up with. Uh, you know, a, a meteorite coming and, and hitting the earth and uh, knocking it out of its orbit and causing chaos. I, I don't lose any sleep over that. And I hope you don't either because God, when He created the earth, He hung it on the empty place and it has been there ever since God hung it there. Right. And, by, and we understand that all things are kept by the Word of His power. Over in Hebrews chapter 1, That's what the Apostle Paul wrote when it talks about the Lord Jesus Christ. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. The Lord is upholding all things by the word of his power. You know why we don't have to fear climate change, child of God? You know why we don't have to fear any kind of gloom or doom uh, message? You know, when I was uh, in grammar school, they would try to scare uh, us with uh, man's going to destroy the world. You know, man has created nuclear bombs now. So uh, if, if, if Russia was to fire all their nuclear weapons at us and we were to fire all our nuclear weapons at them, uh, we would destroy the planet. And now uh, it seems like the, the theory that man's come up with, how man is going to destroy the planet, is well, uh, man is, is polluting the environment, man is going to destroy, you know, we're going to cause the temperature of the earth to raise a certain amount and, and it'll be uninhabitable, man's going to destroy the planet that way. Child of God, we don't have to worry about that. Man, man has a tendency to always want to uh, place himself on a much higher plane than what he really is. You see, we don't have the power to destroy something that we didn't create. We are the sheep of His pasture. God has made us and we didn't make ourselves. We didn't make this planet. This planet is upheld by the Word of God's power. Man doesn't have the power to destroy this planet. God has promised that as long as, as uh, time stands, there will be seed time and harvest. There will be cold and heat. There will be a change of seasons. There will be night and day. And that's going to be the case, child of God, until the last child of promise, the last heir of promise, the last of God's elect family is born into this world and born by the Holy Spirit. And that's when God's going to say time will be no more. 
And you know how this world is going to end? Scripture tells us that God is the one who will decide when time is over. Not man. It won't be because man has polluted the earth to the point where, okay, now the earth... No, it's going to be God. God's going to say, time will be no more. He'll roll the sky sky up as a scroll. Uh, The voice of the archangel will... There will be a shout. The trump of God will sound. And Jesus Christ Himself will come back in the clouds. All these graves are going to bust open. We'll all be gathered home to Him. That's when time's going to end. So the Lord is upholding. There's, there's just such power in His Word, in the Word of the Lord. Over in Hebrews chapter 11, we're told that through faith, in verse 3, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So again, here we have the Word of God, not, not capitalized, but it's no less God. We understand that's not the preached Word of God, that's not the Bible under consideration here, but this is the Word of God, the creative, the, the Elohim, the the uh, omnipotent, all-powerful God, the Creator God, by His spoken Word, everything was made, everything was created. So, when you consider that in the natural creation, and then you consider what we presented to you in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. You know, the Jews... That was one of the things they, they struggled with. And I, I trust if, if I would have been alive when Christ was upon the earth, I would have struggled with this as well. You know, sometimes we look at uh, the people that Jesus was, was speaking to, we, we look at them a little harshly. Consider over in John chapter 12, when Christ, and, and we have red letter, you know, we have the Bible, we have a complete Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament, so we have a lot of light that these individuals didn't have. So we're reading the words of, of Christ, our Savior, who we know is God, who was in the beginning with God. He was God. All things were made by Him, and nothing was, that was made with, was made without Him. And by the way, that tells us that Christ is not a created being. You understand that? In order for it to be true that He was in the beginning, He was with God, He was God, and everything that was made was made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. It just stands to reason, if you just carry that logic out, that Christ was not made. Right. If, if anyone ever tries to tell you that Christ is a created being, just get them to explain that to you. How is Christ created with, when without Him nothing that was made was made? How could Christ be created when He created everything? That's just... It, it's, Illogical. So in John chapter 12, uh, Jesus says in verse 28, he, and this is in the middle of a conversation that he's having, but he says, Father, glorify thy name. And it says, Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said, An angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. 
And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. And the phrase there, if I be lifted up, literally means crucified. In the center margin of my King James Bible, it's, it's uh, translated crucified. So the Lord is speaking about His death and how He's going to glorify God in being crucified. And how that is the way in which Jesus described Himself. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And it's by His substitutionary death on Calvary's cross that the entire elect family of God, all men, all kinds of men, uh, people of every race, kindred, and tongue, every nation, every, there's, God has a people all over this world, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. And it's a number that no man can number. But here Christ is speaking of His death. And we, we because we have the Bible, and we've heard this preached all our lives practically, we understand what Christ is talking about. But these people He was speaking to, they were having a hard time wrapping their mind around this. And notice what they said. Well, in verse 33 it says, This He said, signifying what death He should die. The people answered Him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest thou the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? <laughs> you know, these people, they, this is a good question. If... If Christ liveth and abideth forever, how is it that you're talking about the way in which you're going to die? The, the, the Scriptures, they testify that the Son of God, He liveth and abideth forever. God, it really, think about it. It's a, how, how, would, how would God die? How would the eternal God, how would, how would the God that is from everlasting to everlasting, how would He Die. How could this individual be... How could He be the Messiah? How could He be the Christ? There might be some there that say, Hey, look, uh, this man speaks like no man has ever spake. This man performs miracles. We just heard the Heavenly Father speak from heaven and it was a loud, thunderous, booming voice. This is the Son of God. And as the Son of God, we understand from the Scriptures that He lives and abides forever, but now He's telling us that He's going to die. How can this be? This is a very logical question. You know, sometimes we look at these folks and we, we kind of judge them harshly, but I, I think they had a lot of... It, it was a valid question. And when you think about it, uh, Christ and His humanity, there, there's a point in time there on Calvary's cross where the work that that God had given Jesus to do, how He was to, our sins were laid upon our Savior, and He bore the wrath of God. And when the, you know, that was a, that's really beyond my comprehension as well. There's a portion of Scripture over in Romans chapter 11 that is coming to my mind right now. It's really hard for me to understand and comprehend how I'm worthy of an eternity of suffering, world without end, and Jesus Christ put that away in a few hours there on Calvary's cross. Over in, uh, let's see if I can find it. In Romans. Oh, I don't... Here it is, Romans chapter 9. It says in verse 28, For He will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. 
when the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, that's, that's beyond my comprehension how, how, what it would be like for me to suffer for eternity, world without end. Can you imagine being in a flame of torment where the flame is never quenched and, and the, uh, there's just no end to it. Once we've suffered like that for a thousand years, we're no closer to the end. Once we suffer for another thousand years, we're no closer to the end of that torment. And the Lord Jesus Christ, He bore all that on Calvary's cross. And I tell you, when He hung His precious head and He said, it is finished, and He gave up the ghost, I believe that's what's under consideration here. He will finish the work. He finished the work that God gave Him, the Heavenly Father. And that work was to atone for our sins, to redeem us from our sins, to shed His precious blood. We were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Lamb without spot and without blemish. And He finished that work and He cut it short in righteousness because a short work would the Lord make upon the earth. I tell you, that was an eternal God that performed that work. The Lord Jesus Christ, through the eternal Spirit, offered Himself to God for us. And by that offering, that perfect offering, He paid our sin debt. So the Lord... When you consider the phrase being born again by the Word of God... In John chapter 3, like I said, that was a wonderful message Friday night. I would encourage you to, to listen to it. But that's what Jesus told Nicodemus there in John chapter 3. He said in verse 3, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And again he said in verse 7, Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. And in verse 8, He tells us how it is that we are born again. You know, if it was, if it was necessary for an individual, and Christ is clear that this would be a, a logical place in the Scripture for Him to uh, tell all of us how it is that we're to be born again. If it was necessary for the sinner to say a prayer, or for the sinner to, to ask Lord Jesus to come into his heart, or for the sinner to whatever act of obedience to be baptized, this would be the logical place for the Lord Jesus Christ to explain this to Nicodemus. But notice what Christ explains to Nicodemus. He explains to him exactly how it is that man is born again. This is something that must be. Verse 8, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Every individual, every child of God that is born of God, that is born of the Spirit, that is born into the family of God, is born the exact same way, by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is sovereign. The Holy Spirit is God, just as much as God the Father and just as much as God the Son. And you can't, I don't believe you can, uh, they, Christ explained Himself and the Father many times. He said, I and my Father are one. There were times where the disciples said, uh, Jesus, show us the Father and it'll suffice us. And Jesus would answer and say, Have you been with me so long and you don't know who I am? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You can't, you can't separate the Father from the Son or the 
Holy Spirit from the Son or the Holy Spirit from the Father, they're all united. They're all one and they're all uh, united in will. They're all united. Uh, you just can't... Some, the work of salvation is they all work together in unison. The Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 5, when we consider being born again by the Word of God and the Word of God being Christ. We, I just told you in John chapter 3, it's the Holy Spirit. But again, you cannot, you cannot separate them. They're united. It's one God. In John chapter 5 and verse 24, He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth My word and believeth on Him that sent Me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. This is an individual that's already experienced a resurrection, a change, being translated from death into life. And Christ says in verse 25, this is how that came to be. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. That's a resurrection. That's regeneration. That is the new birth. That is what Christ is speaking about there to Nicodemus Man must be born again. This is, this is the new birth that Christ is explaining more fully here in John 5 and 25. Now, if anyone ever tries to convince you, child of God, that what Christ is speaking about there is the preached Word, that just won't work. Because a few verses later, it's the same voice of the Son of God. I believe this is the voice of Jesus Christ that speaks to our dead benighted souls. Just like He spoke to Lazarus and told Lazarus to come forth, the voice of the Son of God speaks to every one of His children in, in regeneration. And the Holy Spirit, the washing and renewing of our soul and spirit in the, in the new birth is what we experience when we pass from death and trespass and sins into life in Jesus Christ. But it's the same voice here in verse 28 that Christ says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear His voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. So, clearly, we are born again by the word of the Lord, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. That's the, the last point I want to bring out about that living and abiding forever. We didn't, we didn't do anything. Just like the wind is sovereign, the Holy Spirit there in the new birth, we didn't have any control. We didn't... Uh, we didn't ask the wind to blow upon our dead benighted soul in order to have life. What was spoken to us in the new birth was of God. We were born from above. We heard the voice of our Savior. The Holy Spirit quickened us. We were just passive beneficiaries. And just as the natural creation is upheld by the word of His power. We don't, we're not concerned about the sun rising every morning. We're not worried about the sun setting on time. We're not worried about the earth slowing down in its rotation. 
We're not worried about it spinning out of orbit and us going too far away from the sun and freezing to death. We're not worried about it getting knocked out of place and us heading into the sun and burning up. All that is, all that is kept by the power of God, by the power of His Word. And so it is in what dwells within us, child of God. That life that has been imparted to us. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, not of perishable seed. Think about the beauty of that. You know, there's some of God's children, they're taught that in order to be saved to heaven and immortal glory, there's some work of obedience that is necessary for us to complete. Now, some of them are taught that as long as you complete that work, you're saved. Once saved, always saved. But some of them are actually taught that you can have it today, lose it tomorrow, get it back next week, lose it a month from now, and it's just a, a constant struggle and whether or not you end up in heaven or hell is what state that you're in at the moment that you're taken out of this world. And that's a perishable seed. If you have everlasting life today and you don't have it tomorrow, well, that was not an incorruptible seed, is it? That's not being born of the Word of God by... Uh, being born again, not of corruptible seed. That would be corruptible seed. That would be something that perished. That would be something that, that was extinguished because of some act of disobedience. But child of God, we have such, uh, such better promises in the Word of God. And the truth of the matter is that what God has placed in our, in our breast is something that cannot be taken away. We didn't do anything to merit it. And there's nothing we can do to lose it. Uh, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God and Jesus Christ. And the reason is because Christ lives and abides forever. And as it says in verse 25, But the word of the Lord endures forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. I tell you, that's the gospel. That's the gospel we strive to preach every time we stand before the Lord's people about a God that loved His people and gave His darling Son. And because of Him, we have eternal life. We have all things because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because He lives, we live and will never die again. That's right. I thank you for your kind attention this morning. Amen.